All right, it's Brickspace to be here live from the MMB Radio Studios, a very chilly radio studios this morning. A whopping 18 degrees here in Philadelphia, but we're bringing some joy and some warmness to the airwaves today. We have the one and only Mr. Hal Sparks on the phone lines with us. Hal, how are you? I'm fantastic, thanks. Uh, and, and you are correct, I am the one and only. Um, I think that applies across the board. <laughs> yeah. To most human beings, uh, most people, I think, just don't take advantage of it. You might be the only version of you that exists, but most people just kind of go, I know I'm an original cut you know, from you know, the perfect fabric of the universe, but I think I'll just stand in line like these other dopes. <laughs> um, I think... <laughs> Well, we, 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 we appreciate you waking up early to talk about, uh, you know, your upcoming shows in Philadelphia because mm-hmm. um, you had a show yep. last night at the Helium Comedy Club. How did that go? Um, awesome, but that's kind of par for the course for me. Um, and I've got two tonight. We're sold out uh, Sunday. We sold out the uh, Valentine's Day show on, uh, um, on Sunday, so we added another one at 5 o'clock, and then I'm sold out Saturday too. So it's, it's pretty awesome. It's, it's going good. Where, uh, you know, I think it's funny because I, while I wouldn't call my act clean by any stretch, um, I'm not, I'm not vulgar. I, I carefully choose my words in that regard. And, and so I think I'm slightly more couples friendly than a lot of comics can be. And so I, I think that's why we get a lot of Valentine's requests to do, you know, big show weekends and the like is because I can, I can say stuff that's, clearly adult but i'm not gonna make your date pissed at you for bringing you out you know what i mean (laughs) yeah so if you if you were looking for something to do this uh valentine's day and you want to take your bay as all the kids are saying to uh, a a good show um definitely check you out at helium comedy club in philadelphia now you're a very busy man you do the um tv thing you do uh film you do radio you do podcasting you do stand-up how do you have time to juggle everything uh, well, I don't know. I think it's just good time management. I think a lot of people don't realize how much time they waste. Um, it's it's always one of those things like I don't, I, people ask me how much spare time I have. I don't have any spare time. I have time that I use to have fun. I have time that I use to play video games or be silly or hang out with friends. But it's not spare time. It's actually used for that purpose. And and my you know so I don't. It's not like I miss out and I'm overworked all the time. I just feel like, you know, there's people have a lot of free time. A lot of people waste time at work. Um, they could be doing any number of things. Most people at their 9 to 5 have enough free time during that day that they could run their own sideline Internet business if they so chose just because of the amount of downtime that they actually have, if they really put it together. And, and so for me, it's just a matter of using that well. Nobody knows how much time they've got. Nobody knows... Uh, you know, what opportunities are going to come their way specifically. So if they're there in front of you, you just burn them down. You take advantage of it entirely. Now, That's you, I mean, really all it is. Now, you've done a lot in the business, and um, mm-hmm. we, we fielded a couple questions from people online. We had people email questions to us, and uh, people cool. were very familiar with your work. Um, we had one of the people send in a question, so you got to ask him about uh, 20Q and being Mr. Q and – I told sure. him, I said, well, I promise I will uh, try not to bombard you with a lot of questions about your past, because i got a lot of queers folk questions as well. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> a lot you of people... know, the, yeah, the, as, insofar as the 20Q thing, um, that was a voiceover job. Um, I do a lot of VO stuff 
Um, I did Tack and the Power of Juju, which is a cartoon on Nickelodeon that ran for three years. Um, I, you know, I've done like movie voiceover work and that kind of stuff as well. That's an entire career in and of itself. Um, it, it's, you can actually watch the transition, um, in the work that I've done and gotten over time, starting with, you know, like Dr. Doolittle when I did that to now where my voice is much more recognizable to people. So I can't do the kind of anonymous character stuff. I'm now getting hired to be the voice of very specifically, which is an interesting career arc. Now, how often do you get asked questions about queers folk? I know, I know you have a YouTube Daily. channel. I don't know. Thanks to Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And, and how, uh, do, do you get frustrated or annoyed by answering the no. same questions over, or like, how do you take it in stride? Well, one of the one of the reasons why I started answering doing the QAFAQ on my YouTube channel was because. I didn't. It wasn't that I was annoyed or whatever, but I just literally did not have the time to keep re-answering the question fully to give a full answer. And so I decided to shoot videos that are the full answer, and that way anybody who wants to know can just click on that link and and the you know the questions that they may have had that you know if other people have asked the same question, the answer is there, and it's not just like a tweet that I send them that can be misread or is half an answer, you know, and so. I, I don't mind giving a real answer to the question. The only type, time it becomes annoying is when somebody asks a question that requires a nuanced, uh, you know, uh, you know re- ask a question that requires a nuanced answer. That's a lot of work, you know. That's you know, and you don't you don't want to go. Okay, if I say if I answer this question halfway, they're going to be mad. They're going to they're not going to understand what I mean, or they're going to take offense at this, or they're going to think that I'm dissing something or negative about it. And it requires more than that, you know. So, uh, yeah, so I don't mind. I just want to give a real answer. Now, what what question uh QAF's question do you get asked the most? Mm. Um hmm. I don't know. I mean, it, there's there's several. I mean, uh, it, it depends on who's asking the question. Because a lot of people ask the question, you know, are you gay? Like it's contagious. Um, and it is an uh, epidemic, uh, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, and that was one of the things that you know I tried to make abundantly clear. I was very open about my heterosexuality over the course of the show. Not so much, you know. And some people read that as distancing myself from the show or appearing homophobic. But the reality was, I was addressing a, a crowd of people who watch the show and think that, A, everybody there must be gay because nobody would do this if they weren't, which is a total fallacy. And the other thing is that they believe it's a choice and or it's contagious. And if you're trying to make the case to people that that gay people are born the way they are, it's completely natural and, and human, and that they should be allowed to be themselves, then to continually go, look, I was on the show, I'm straight, I'm still straight, end of conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not a choice. It's not an accident. It's, it's, your, it's your identity. It's yourself. And, and so by continually going, yep, nope, still straight, you know, was, you know, it was to eat against that kind of questioning. It wasn't for necessary supporters of the show or even viewers of the show, but, people, but detractors of the show kind of undercutting their argument. It's definitely um, not Zika fever. Yeah. It's not something that you have to, uh, yeah, you know, avoid going to places because you could, you know, yeah, become, you could catch yeah. gay. But yeah. you'd be amazed how many people still think that, uh-huh. you know, or think it's, uh, you know, 
and there's lots of social reasons why they want to think it's a, um, you know, it's a choice. Because in the South, for example, if you have a gay kid, um, it's considered an embarrassment, you know, in a lot of, you know, highly religious quarters and very rural areas. And so thinking that it's contagious or optional or a choice means that it can be reversed. And therefore, it gives them some sense of hope that if, God forbid, their kid comes up and says, Mom, Dad, I'm gay, that they could go, oh, this is just a phase or something you're going through, or it's the people you're hanging out with, or you've been watching too much TV or that stupid college you're going to. And if you just stick around with us and go to our church, then you'll be straight again. It gives them some sort of ridiculous solace, if that makes sense. Definitely. Now, you're very yeah. big in the LGBT community. Now, is this mm-hmm. something that you were involved with prior to QAF? Or well, is... yeah, well, I worked with AIDS Project Los Angeles and Project Angel Food in L.A., you know, in the early days of the AIDS crisis and in the 90s, you know, dealing with that. And so I had a lot of friends in the gay community, and it was just kind of a natural part of my life. It wasn't extraordinary in any ways. It was just normal. So when the show came along, I didn't have the flinch factor that other people had. I didn't have this kind of like, oh, I don't know, is that okay? What will people think? Like, I could care less. So, um, you know, that it, that certainly helped in the decision-making for me, I suppose, because it it took the work out of it, you know, whereas other people, quite frankly, panicked at the idea, gay and straight. Now, a bunch of us were here in the studio and we we're talking about and we we're going over different things that you've done and people are just bringing up past memories, you know, like the Zoltan. And one of the things yeah. I brought up was Treasure Mall. And <laughs> yeah. everyone kind of looked at me like a lot of the younger guys in the studio are all looking at me like, what is Treasure Mall? I'm right. like, you guys don't remember Treasure Mall? Kind of take right. us like, what was that experience like being so young, doing a show and yeah, it was kind of your yeah, first I'm break? The, technically the youngest game show host in history, I guess, um, at least on American television that we're aware of. And, um, you know, that was one of the factors of, I, I won the funniest teenager in Chicago contest when I was 17. And I've kind of booked that immediately afterwards. Um, I was shooting it while I was still in high school. So I was going to high school in Chicago. Uh, and then I would fly to Los Angeles and, you know, for the weekend, shoot over the weekend and then fly back on Monday, go to school Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, fly out Thursday night, shoot and rehearse Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and do it over again for almost three months. And then, which was an extraordinary experience, and it, I got the best grades of my life because I was no longer bored and I was very focused on what what the task in front of me. Um, but, it, you know, I learned the rules of how to do a game show because there's so many technical rules. If you screw up, it costs the show a lot because you have to give away every prize and there's all certain people can say, I was asked the question wrong compared to how the other person was asked it and therefore I lost the chance to win. And so there, there was so much training. I literally was trained with a, a bell. The producer had a bell. If I said certain words the wrong way, he would ring the bell like Pavlov, you know, <laughs> and I'd have to start the whole spiel over again to learn how to do it. Now, I always told now, people that it was a, yeah. kind of a precursor to Double Dare. Yeah, like, everybody doesn't really realize, and I was kind of trying to explain it to the people here, and I'm like, it's like Double Dare, and we were looking up videos on YouTube, and I have mm-hmm. to say, the swag that you had back then, I mean, the the, the, the jumpsuits and the high-top oh, sneakers, yeah. a lot of that is coming full circle, so you were an, an innovator in so many I was aspects. sure I was way ahead of the curve on that. 
Um, totally. I mean, the, the, the big blue jumpsuit was the hilarious part. I was, it was like that, that was straight up fat boys. I think we borrowed it from them. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, but again, I, I have zero, uh, embarrassment factor on anything I've done early that may or may not be in or out of current style. No bearing whatsoever on my own sense of self-worth. I always think it's funny when when people, artists, bands especially, look back at clothes or styles they had at a certain point in history um, and, and go, oh, I'm so embarrassed by that back then. I'm like, why? That's not you anymore. That's who you were then. That's how that stuff works. It's okay. Um, Embrace it. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, uh, and so I, I think it's a lot of fun. We're talking to Hal Sparks here. He's going to be at Helium Comedy Club this weekend in Philadelphia. Now, it's worth noting that you are you're doing uh, the Disney's Lab Rat show on XD, and it just uh, the what is it the Bionic Rat Lab or whatever one of it just finished up in February. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of explain what is Lab Rats to people out there who don't have children or do not watch Disney XD. Like, what is yeah. that whole concept? It's a live action uh, sci fi show. Um, uh, sitcom that we do um, about I play a billionaire scientist inventor who created three bionic kids and 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 my new wife's son who is not bionic um, introduces them to the normal world and they fight crime it's a it, you know it's kind of built built on that premise um, the the show was created by two writers from that 70s show and the executive producer and creator of that 70s show Mark Brazil um, uh, and so the jokes that were in it were as good as anything I'd seen in any sitcom script that I was looking at, you know, and I jumped at the chance to do it because the character was so just crazy fun, you know, um, and, and so we've been doing it for four years now and, um, I'm now a director on the show as well. Um, and you know, I got in the DGA last year because of it, which is a fantastic step for somebody like me. And um, and now I'm, you know, in kind of that narrow field of directors who can do special effects um, really comfortably because of my experience on the show. And it, it, it's been great. And it is w- worth noting as well that it is the most watched show on Disney XD, which yeah, is the only a thing that beat deal. our yeah, the only thing that beat our premiere last year was Empire. Which is crazy when you stop and you think about the people. number of people. Yeah, yeah, people. You hear Empire and people are like, "Oh, I've heard of that," but then not so many people say they've heard of Lab Rats. Right, and you're like, "Wow!" In comparison, they're doing you know same, same numbers. numbers. Yeah, um, it's so weird, uh, you know. And it's it it's actually been a great thing. Um, and and you do realize who your audience is when the whole family is showing up. You know, when when you're getting corralled by everybody in the in the mall as opposed to just one you know you know like because with queers folk or i love the 80s or dude where's my car or talk soup even there would be one person in a family that would know one thing that i did that was sort of specialized to whatever they liked meanwhile you know with with uh, lab rats i'm getting the entire crowd if the kids watch it the parents know what it is everybody's coming over it's awesome now, what's it like working with Disney? Because you do stand-up comedy, so mm-hmm. you kind of have to like toe that thin line there, where you're, you know, you you are representing a family company with Disney, but you also, you know, want to be yourself and be, 
a comedian and do your own things and you know be adult at times mm-hmm. um what's it what's it like balancing those two they have they put no limitations on on what i do at all i give them a tremendous amount of credit that they never even broached the issue as far as you know the issues that i talk about or the language i use in stand-up shows because it's it's specific to the venue you know i you know i'm i'm capable of discussing things with my friends in a different way that I discuss it with in front of my grandmother. And I think that's all it takes. A well-rounded human being knows where, you know, to use what kind of language and talk about what kind of topics. It's just about respect for your environment. So uh, it, it's been no problem whatsoever. Um, you know, if, if anything, I've tried to be, you know, a good point of guidance for the, you know, for the kids on the show. Um, and, and it's worked out that way. And like I said, to, to Disney's credit, they didn't flinch at the fact that I'd been on Queer as Folk at all. That it, and, you know, all, you know, gay storyline aside, um, it's a very adult show. Um, you know, beyond anything you, you know, you know, it makes Breaking Bad look like a Saturday morning cartoon as far as content. Um, and so that, you know, I, they could have, said, well, we can't hire him just because of that. And they didn't. So I give them a lot of credit for that. Now, uh, one of the things I, I found very interesting about you, and you've said in, in past interviews and you've made mentions about it, is that you, you've never ha- taken any drugs or you drank any alcohol. Do you, do you consider yourself straight edge? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's a description that works for me. I was doing it before that existed. Mm-hmm. Um, even before there was a straight edge, I was, I suppose. Um, it's a good... Um, label to help people understand it. It's not, you know, uh, there are people who co-opt it and make it a religious thing. In some cases, there are some people who co-opt it and make it strictly a punk, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, X lifestyle. But to me, it's just the, it's just natural living. I don't need any external help. I don't need any help being weird or socially active. <laughs> I don't. I like I totally the agree. most. I think drugs are temporary weird for normal people. If you live a normal life and your life is completely normal, some people take drugs just to feel weird for a while or feel off or feel perpendicular to the life experience that most people have. And I don't need any help feeling that way. That's how I feel all the time. It's why I'm stand-up, arguably. Um, it's why I write music, quite frankly. You know, it's because that's my perception point in life. So I don't, you know, high wouldn't make it any better or any clearer or anything like that. And and the same thing goes for for alcohol, you know, I, like I, I don't need that I don't need a social lubricant. I don't need anybody um, you know, I don't need to relax to feel like I need to talk to anybody, never have. It's just not there. I don't grudge, begrudge anybody doing it though. I also don't judge people for doing it. It's their choice. Um, but I'm I'm happy to be the designated driver if that's what comes up because I just don't have any interest. Now, I respect you for that because I consider myself straight edge. And along the same reasonings that you presented yourself, a lot of people, I tell them, you know, you know I'm straight edge. I don't drink. I don't do drugs and everything. And they automatically want to just, you know, label it with the punk and X lifestyle. So right. I, I appreciate that you're out there kind of doing the same thing I'm doing where you're like, no, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be punk or, you know, no. a certain lifestyle. It's kind of just doing your own thing. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, to me, the most punk thing you can do, or the most metal thing you can do, because I've never been a punk fan. I'm always, I like, I like musicians who practice. So I've always been more of a metalhead, and um, and this is not something that necessarily falls naturally into place with what you would 
envision as metalheads, per se. Um, but that doesn't matter. The whole point of it is an individualism in that regard, being yourself. So I've always been a KISS fan. It's like, you know, the whole thing is do you, you know, do your thing, be yourself. And and that always appealed to me even when I was a little kid. And so drinking because of social pressure, doing drugs because of social pressure, or even not doing it because of social pressure, because, you know, a r- religious family members don't think it's right or, or it's against your religion as a group think idea, just didn't work for me. The reason I don't do it is because I've chosen not to do it, period. It has no bearing on whether anybody else does it or don't do it. Now, you mentioned that you do the music and you record music. You have your own band, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, Zero One. All right, now, how long have you been doing this? Is this something you've uh, been doing for quite a while? Yeah, I've been, do- I've been in bands since high school. Um, you know, it, most people don't pay attention to it until you become some level of famous. You know, so once you are, they think it's something you're doing now that you are famous or what have you. You know, that comes up a lot. Um, but I find that music, acting stand-up, they're all different artistic expressions that don't overlap. There are emotions you can do in music that you can't do in stand-up, and vice versa. Like, you can do annoyance in stand-up, but it's too small an emotion for uh, for music. Uh, you can do rage, genuine rage and sorrow in music, but it, it's out of place in stand-up. You can do all of those feelings as an actor, but you don't have any uh, control over when you'll get to do them. You don't, you know, like you can't come into work and go, I feel angry today. Let's do an angry scene. It doesn't work that way. You actually have to craft whatever your emotion is germane to the project. So each one of them has a very specific, uh, you know, artistic outlet to it. And they, you know, you, you can't understand one of them, you know, better because you do another they're they're their own thing we're talking to hal sparks here's going to be a helium comedy club in philadelphia this weekend now uh, like we said we mentioned that we uh, fielded some questions from fans and uh, one of the fans had emailed and said we know that you're you're very uh, outspoken and opinionated and um, that's a good thing mm-hmm. and wanted to know have you been watching any of these debates online and kind of like what is uh what is your opinion on everything that's going on on a uh, political stance um, well, yeah, I've watched all the debates. Um, I do a radio show every Saturday called the House Sparks Radio Show, Mega Worldwide. It's on WCPT Radio in Chicago. Um, it, we're on every Saturday. Um, it's a political talk show, so I, you know, I delve deep into these issues. I'm a policy wonk. I like governing. Um, I, I, I appreciate the complexity of doing it. Um, I think that there's an infantile response right now where people are like, you know, whenever anybody says, you know, why is a bill 3,000 pages long or that's their gripe about it is that it's too much, um, I know they're not serious. And I think the complexity of running a country, a democracy of 330 million people, is integral to what's going on. So I like paying attention to the details because of that. I like detail, um, which is, you know, why I think there's only one active, genuine political party in the country right now. I mean, the Democratic Party is the only working political entity that exists. Um, what's going on in the Republic Party is a shame. Um, it would be nice to have a loyal opposition or a genuine um, conservative viewpoint played forth, but quite frankly, that only comes from what I would consider conservative Democrats these days. Um, I think 
people like Jim Webb and Max Baucus and, and people like that are as, as right-wing as you need to still be able to govern. And so, and they're Democrats. Uh, what's happening as far as, you know, the, the Trump nonsense and all that on the, on the right is, is an undermining of any genuine conservative thought. It's not, it's, it's unfunctional. It's not even dysfunctional. It's without function. And, uh, and anybody whose argument is we're just going to make it better, trust me, is, is cartoonish and silly. Um, that, that being said, they're very entertaining, um, but, they're not, but that's not politics. What's happening in the Republican debate is not politics. Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, there's, uh, you know, you've got two people fighting tooth and nail um, who are in 95% agreement on everything. And that's because they both know that there is no one worth voting for on the Republican side. They will not garner national support no matter what they do, and that whoever is the Democratic nominee will more than likely win unless they totally egg it. Um, so, uh, you know, for the, the reality is, is that, um, you know, I, I, somebody, uh, I'm, I want somebody to, you know, to operate the country. I don't need a leader. Um, I'm a grown man. I make my own life decisions. I don't look. I don't need a moral compass outside myself either. But I do need a functional executive running the country, and that's what I look for in these. And 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 you watch um, these kind of situations. And you go, would I hire this person to run my company? Saying what they're saying, speaking like they're speaking. That's that's effectively. And and keep in mind, in my company, I don't want to fire anybody. I'm. You know, you can't fire the public. So to keep this analogy solid, that's super important. Now, how often do you bring politics into your stand-up routine? Is that something um, that you're cool with almost doing? Never. Almost, almost never. never. I, do, I, I do socio-political commentary in that I talk about how we all live together in giant groups, which technically is politics. I just don't bring names into it very often. Occasionally, if something silly or strikes me as, you know, if I feel like doing a Trump or Bernie Sanders impersonation and fitting it into a joke just randomly because I'm having fun. I'll do that. But I found that I make more headway around issues that I care a lot about if I speak about them in, in non-political terms. If I talk about them in terms of you know, their, you know, their, their social impact as ideas from the inside them, meaning that if I, if I talk largely uh, you know, if I mention a name and say this is why blah 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 to gay marriage, or I make an attachment to, um, you know, taxes or what have you, certain members of the audience their ears will shut. That's just how it works. Now, other than the upcoming shows in Philadelphia this weekend at the uh, Helium Comedy Club, four shows sold out. Uh, what else do you have coming up? Um, well, I go back to L.A. Uh, on uh, on Monday after I'm done with these shows. And then I'm working on – I have three short films we're doing in, in, in quick succession. And then I have some, you know, some basically what I would call driving dates in the L.A. area. I go out to you know, Claremont, California, and Las Vegas and a couple other places um, for the next you know, few weeks. And then I'm back out on the road after that. Um, you know, people can go to the Facebook page, and I'll put those up on, on the events calendar on, my, on the House Parks Fang page. And um, – and you know, and I post that stuff on Twitter. You know, when the, when the dates come up, um, a lot of it is I'm trying to shoehorn as many dates as I can in because I'm working on a new special. 
Um, so what I'm working out this weekend, what I'll be doing over the next couple of weeks when I do these, you know, kind of single dates is doing the, the you know, building what that final version of this set will be. Well, people can find you at on Twitter and Instagram at Hal Sparks, and uh, we appreciate you taking some time, getting up early, talking to us. Um, yeah. Like I said, I know it's only 18 degrees, but that shouldn't mean anything to you. You're from Chicago, so this, yeah, is, no. this is like my, tropical my, weather to you. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is bikini weather. Totally cool. <laughs> so we appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. Check him out at Helium Comedy Club this weekend. Uh, it's been an honor and a real pleasure yeah. to be talking to you. And uh, we hope to hear from this new special because fans are asking questions. When is he going to do another recorded special like a CD or DVD? Yeah, um, so that's it, coming. It's, it's that's what we're works. working on. Yep, it's in the works. Well, we appreciate it and uh, much success to you. And thank you for taking some time to talk to us. Absolutely. Cheers. Take care. Hey, this is Al Sparks, you know, the guy who's always on your television set. Yeah, you're listening to Mix Master B on MMB Radio.